0: So open up your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 14, verse 8. Somebody say, the wisdom of the prudent. One more time with me, the wisdom of the prudent. Thank you. When you look to the scriptures, especially the book of Proverbs, you see that wisdom is given by God through people. You can get God's wisdom just between you and him, but nine out of ten times, God's wisdom is going to come through people. This is why it's ridiculous to say, I believe in God, but I don't go to church. That's a ridiculous oompa-loompa statement because that's foolishness because what you're basically saying is, I will only listen to God when he downloads it to me. I won't listen to God's 100 million other Christians, you know, it's just, you're, you're now insulting God in what God can do. What you're basically, or the person who says that, is they're basically saying, only God can speak to me. So God does not have enough power to give a message through somebody else. But how many can already see the contradiction in that? Because they have to read the Bible to understand what God is saying to them, otherwise they're going to get deceived by their own hot Cheetos, the little burning in their bosom. No, that's just your hot Cheetos, dude. That's not the Holy Spirit. So you got to go back to the word anyway. Well, now you're trusting what God said to these folks. And let me just say this. The older that I have gotten, the more I see them as just normal folks. Literally, when the Bible says in the book of James, Elijah, a man just like us, he prayed and it didn't rain, now you pray. That's the way you're supposed to look at them. Because I'm, I'm older than what Jesus was in the flesh, in the natural. I'm older now than all the disciples were at that time they met Jesus. I don't think anyone was past their 40s and, and getting close to their 50s. I'll be 46 next month, you know. And, uh, you know, most of these men didn't live very long lives anyway. And so if, you know, the Lord should tell you out, I'll live them. I'm just telling you, I don't think anything special of them in that way. They're not. The, the writers of Scripture are just people that had encounters with God. And if they weren't talking about their encounters with God, they were no more right about the things of God than the person down the street. In other words, when Paul starts giving, giving his own opinion, Paul's opinion is just like an armpit. You know, we all have them, most of the time they stink. When he starts talking about it's better for a man not to marry, I'm like, no, Paul, that's better for a man to marry. You all get quiet. now. You think I'm blaspheming. I'm not. They were just men. Somebody say they were just men. But they heard from God, and then they wrote that revelation, and that revelation, not the three other things that they thought, but that revelation was from God. Can I hear an amen? I mean, if you believe in that, that's, that's important that you believe in that, okay? And if you believe in that, it changes your world because you're looking at Solomon, and this guy had all of these wives and concubines, and you're okay with that in a sense, not that it's okay to be that way, but you're okay with whatever else he did. As long as this was written down when he heard from God, I'm trusting that, Amen? i got a quiet amen on that. Can I hear a real amen? Amen, because otherwise you're going to run into all these problems. Well, why is the book of Proverbs there? Why is David's Psalms there? Look at David. Look at the problems that he caused. I'm not looking at David like he's my hero. I need a hero. He has to be. Any now, I'm not, that's, David's not my guy. Are you all listening to me? If I was hanging out with David, I would slap him on the tushy and punch him in the arm. I mean, I don't look to any man as my source. But listen, but listen, I believe God speaks to men and women, and when he speaks, I better be listening, and you better be listening. The Bible says the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Can I hear an amen for that? Now look to verse 12. There is a way that appears to be right, but in the end, it leads to death. These kind of Proverbs teach us that we must listen to others who can hear what we cannot hear, that we have to be able to receive wisdom. Another scripture in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 1, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction is stupid. Look at chapter 12, verse 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You see, there was a time in our church where I needed to hear a word from the Lord. Okay? When we were going through the BLM and the riots with the Riascos, my head was spinning so fast, I didn't know what up and what down was. I was in my greatest time of weakness that I can recall in ministry, if ever, if definitely not, definitely in the last 10 years, okay? And I was making decisions in those moments to protect families. My family, my address was posted online. The Rioscos already had people camped out in front of their house wanting to kill them. Threats were made to us over and over again, and we live in Chicago and take that serious. Can I hear an amen? If they'll carjack and shoot a woman in the back of the head, down the street on Halloween with kids in the car, what do you think they're going to do to me after I called them a sinner on their way to hell? And now they want to do something about it after the police have already themselves been bricked and stoned and chased out of the areas, right? And I remember, and I want everyone to hear this because this involves some of your friends that left the church, and I do not mean this to cause more controversy, but feel free to send this to them because I would want them to hear this. Some of my closest friends and those I love the most did not give a rat's behind about me. And they didn't give a rat's behind about the Riascos. All they thought about was themselves. And they were some of the strongest leaders in this church. I want you to hear me, and I'm not mincing words. Is everybody listening? Send this to them. I don't care. And I had to make decisions that I will live and die by at that moment. Make the wrong decision, you die. Your family dies. Well, we go to heaven, okay. Okay. But what's the Lord saying? Is it time to lead Paul out of a city wall down a basket? Or is it time to be martyrs? What's, what's the call here, Jesus? Are we dying? Or are we going out of city walls, sneaking out in the middle of the night? The, the heat's on us. It's not on you, brothers and sisters. Meet quietly and continue on. We'll move on. And that's what I thought the Lord said. I thought that was God's word. Everybody say, "He thought that. I thought that was God's word. I move along with those who are in the spotlight and then the church quietly keeps meeting, and hopefully the death threats will stop. I thought that was the word of the Lord. And on my way with the riascos, leaving the city, I'm praying in tongues, I'm singing in the spirit, I am clinging on to all that I know to hear a word from the Lord. And yet nothing is breaking through that, that wall or ceilings, that ceiling of bronze. Because I was limited. You see, I needed the body of Christ, and we were at the end of one of our meetings because I had continual meetings with the leaders. Anyone that says during that time they were not receiving communication is a liar. The meetings, the communication were continual from moment one. This is what they're saying. This is what we're going to do. We're not sure what to do, and I had elders that I was looking to to give me direction what to do, and the first phone call I had with them is I quit, I'm done, don't call me for this anymore. Are you listening to me? This is real life. This is our church. Other people's churches get to play make believe on Sundays. We live and die by this. Amen? I'm not saying other churches, there's not other good churches. I'm just saying most churches play make believe with this on Sunday. This is real for us. I needed something from the Lord, and I'm praying, I'm talking to God, but I'm not getting anything. And at the end of one of the meetings, this precious sister said to me, you have got to hear from Jesus. You have to hear. So in other words, I could not go on assumption anymore. I needed to stop and be able to hear a word from the Lord when I knew what north was. Because how many know you can say you're hearing from God when your head is spinning, but you're really just acting out of anxiety and fear. Now, I want everybody to know this. I am confessing all of my weakness to you. All those ones that I counted on the most, especially two particular elders, have not confessed any weakness nor apologized to any of us. And look at me, brother and sister, the Lord rebuke you. So send this to them. The Lord rebuke you. Not this pastor. The Lord rebuke you. But this sister in that meeting said, you need to hear from God. That pierced my soul in a way that I cannot explain to you. And I want everybody to hear this as we learn to hear from God as Christians. It was not repeated. It was not said with shaking and I feel the Lord. It wasn't said with a threat or an ultimatum. It was one sentence that came right across my life. And I want everyone to hear this. If I wouldn't have heard that word, that one sentence floating into my world, who knows where I would be living right now? Because it was after I had a meeting with the Riascos saying, deep breath, we're finally safe now. I'm going to go to my room and hear from Jesus and start to pray and get a focus on what we need to do, where we need to drive to, because we didn't even know where we were going We just knew wherever we go, we're bringing the things of God. Amen? Wherever we go, we're planting this flag of Metro Praise with the name of Jesus. That's all that we knew. And as I laid in that bed, I heard the Lord say to me, this is not your journey. Let the Riascos go. I got them. You as a pastor have loved them and protected them. You have brought them to safety. Now you turn right back around and lay down your life for me. Okay? That's what God spoke to me after that sister told me to do that. You see, you can be reckless in your words. You can be flippant in your words. Or you can have a tongue of healing. You can be someone... That only thinks about yourself. Look at truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue only lasts a moment. You can speak lies or you can speak truth. When that sister spoke that word to me, it was an anchor for my soul. Because what somebody was saying to me was, pastor, you need to hear from God. And and like I said, it was one sentence that floated across my, my mind, you know, into my world. And I knew what that meant. That knew, what, I, what that meant to me was I just couldn't say I heard from God flippantly anymore. I just couldn't make decisions on the fly anymore. I had to be able to say, thus says the Lord, now I'm willing to live or die by this. And when God spoke to me and he said to go back, he gave me a very clear word. He said, I will now show you over the next 30 days that this will not increase, it will decrease. I went back and pleaded with those elders, and I said, I know we're all scared. I know we all want to leave, but listen, God has not told us to do it this way. I have a word. If you want to go, take 30 days, and they were like, okay, well, then we'll leave after 30 days. No, no, no. It's take back your resignations. Everyone, everyone admit we're acting out of fear. Take 30 days to now see what God will do because Five seconds before we went on the news, five seconds before this thing blew up, everybody was ride or die for Metro Praise. So now that we can make this correction, take 30 days to watch what God will do. And as I came to church that Sunday, listen to me, God is my witness. Not one other thing happened again after that. Think about it. As I came to that building, the bomb threats were there at that moment but they didn't show up. You know why? Because they had heard we weren't having a live service. And then when they heard we were coming back, they were so disorganized they couldn't come one to the other. They couldn't even turn back around. So we had the police, the riot gear, and there was nothing that happened. Then after that, of course, online they're still doing things. But I'm talking about happening. I'm talking about real things happening. Like after that, nothing. And yet those people tucked their tails between their legs, scurried off and left. Can they come back and be forgiven? Absolutely. Do I still love them? Do I love all of those during that time? Absolutely. But I cannot lie to you and tell you that those things are okay because you know what? That word that came across my desk almost put me in a place where I would have missed God. And I want everyone to hear this. When it comes to hearing from God, you don't get a lot of second and third chances. I thank God that we get second and third chances and that there's forgiveness. But if I would not have listened to that, I think I would have ran on for quite some time before I would have known something was wrong. I always give the example to our other pastors and leaders here. I say, just imagine on one bad day, you want to resign. You want to go do something else. And, uh, you know, you go and do that something else. And it becomes very successful. So let's say this thing that I end up doing, and it probably would have been somewhere warm, like Tampa or in Florida. These boys ended up in Dallas. I would have ended up somewhere in Miami, man, okay? (laughs) You know, Malibu. (laughs) Anyways, that's just a joke, kind of half kid. Pray for me. Pray for someone here to win that lottery or get a lot of money so we can get a jet and have some campuses and some warm places because it is hard on me, amen? It is hard for a brother. Now, anyways, uh, let's say I would have ended up in Tampa. Let's say I would have ended up there. And let's say it would have started exploding. And let's say it would have been over a 1,000 people within a year or two and the megachurch and the who's who and the Charisma magazine is interviewing me. What's the secret sauce to the ministry and all of that? You know what? I still would have been out of God's will. I still, listen, would have been out of God's will. That's when I meet people and they go, well, you know, Pastor, you guys said this or the Bible said this, but you know what? I'm, I'm living this kind of life, you know? Like, imagine being, you know, like Caitlyn Jenner's pastor, you know, Bruce Jenner. Imagine being his pastor. Well, if you get a sex change, your life is going to go worse for you. He's like, no, man. Since I've gotten the sex change, I got more money than I've ever had before. I got more fame. Do you see how we can't live superstitious lives in the the Christian faith? You see, you can get a lot of good stuff doing bad things. And so even in the kingdom of God, let's say I'm preaching. Metro praise is growing. Let's say everything even works out here in Chicago. When I got to Judgment Day, God would have said this to me, and this is what I believe. God would say this to me. He would say, Joe, do you see all this work that you did in Tampa? Do you see how this was all in my name? He would say to me, thank you for the souls. Thank you for all this. But you know what? The work, it gets burned up. Because you don't get credit for this because you went against my name. For my own name's sake, I still did good out of it, but you don't get credit for that. You don't get a reward for that because you were disobedient. And I want everybody to hear this life lesson that I got from this beautiful sister. Please learn how to hear from Jesus. Because it was one word that was spoken to my heart when I was leaving Bible college that kept me where I was at. Otherwise, I would have been one of those people that never went to Bible college and and would have missed the entire educational gift that God had for me. Think about that. One word. And the same thing with Lotta, one word. And so when she comes before you today, there might be one, there might be a hundred. Hear these words this precious, precious sister has to, have, uh, has to give you and receive them for your life. Amen? And take serious what God is doing because sometimes, people, you live in confusion. You're like, oh, I just don't understand. Maybe your word has already passed. And you need to come with repentance. You need to be able to say, Lord, I repent. Because God, I don't know what went wrong, but something must have went wrong. Forgive me and set my path straight. Amen? That's what I say to my brothers and sisters when they're in that confused state. God must have spoke to you somewhere along the line, and you did not want to hear it. Now to get back to hear the word, you don't go on this endless uh, spiritual quest, you know, to take peyote, to go out in Nevada with the Native American. That's not how you're going to hear from God. If you are in a place where you cannot hear from God, start with, I repent. Lord, forgive me because there's something off in my hearer now and bring me back to a place of humility so I can hear the word from the Lord. Amen? So when I say to you, my leaders pastor me, that's exactly what I mean. They pastor me. They lead me. They care for me. And I'm so glad I got to introduce her this morning. I pray that you can stand up with me and receive her right now. Would you put your hands together and welcome Lauda Morales! Sister, Come
1: on, man. Would you speak this way? That was so beautiful. Thank you so much. It is such an honor and privilege to be here this morning in this capacity. So if you could pray with me and for me. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word that doesn't change. We thank you that you speak to us and through us. We thank you that we can gather here in freedom. That unlike the persecuted church all over the world, we get to sit here comfortably and listen to your word and worship you, Jesus. We don't take that for granted. So we thank you. And today we we ask you that you continue to speak Through me, Lord, touch every heart, every soul, every mind. May we not leave here the same way we came in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Who's excited? (laughs) I am very excited. All right. So today's message is called Faith Over Fear. Yeah, some of you caught it. Some of you are going to have to rewatch it to catch it. But that's okay. All right, so we're going to be in Mark 5 today, and we're going to be looking at, from the surface, three very seemingly different characters in the Bible, from the surface, who Jesus uses to teach us about his power and the faith that we need to be able to experience it. We're going to be going verse by verse. Y'all ready? All right. My Bible titles it, Jesus Restores a Demon-Possessed Man. They went across the lake to the region of Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit from the tombs came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one can bind him anymore not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. So right here, we get five whole verses as an introduction of what this man's life was like. Not a lot of stories in the Bible give you this much context to a character that doesn't even have a a name to him. We don't know this man's name. And yet we have five verses that detail his life. We don't know how long he's been in this predicament. But it's terrible, right? So we know that he is in in the region of Gerasenes. Gerasenes is Gentile. They are the Gentile people, right? And he has an an, impure spirit. What does that mean? It says that he lives in the tombs. He lives in the cemetery. Who wants to live in the cemetery? No one. Absolutely no one, ever. But yet this man does. And it says that they've tried to bind him, right? But they can't bind him anymore. That means that they've tried in the past. So I'm picturing, right, I'm using my godly imagination, and I'm picturing if I'm trying to bind something or someone, I'm probably going to start with maybe some cloth, right? Maybe like an old T-shirt, tie his hands, tie his foot. And then once he breaks out, I'm maybe going to try some rope, right? Maybe some rope, like the thin one. And then I'm going to keep buying thicker and thicker rope. There's a point to this. Stay with me. You're like, okay. <laughs> um, and then if the rope doesn't work, I'm going to buy a chain. And maybe I'll start with, like, a key chain, right? Like those thin chains. But we know that there's thick, like, very thick chains, those, like, shackles. And it says that they can't bind him anymore, not even with the chain. They have tried everything to contain this man, and it has not worked. Because he tore his chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one had the strength to subdue him. That means that they've tried That means that if you live in the region, your brother, your father, your aunt, your uncle has probably tried to subdue this man, and they can't. Because he is so strong, he breaks out. So not only does he live in the cemetery, but he cuts himself day and night with stones. And not only does he cut himself, he cries out loud. He is a menace, right? We all know him. If you live in the region, you're going to know who this man is. Let's see what happens. Verse 6. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? In God's name, do not torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send him out of the area. So in his limited understanding, right, because he has, we've learned, he has an impure spirit. In his limited understanding, he is able to still see that Jesus is coming. Jesus, by this point, is famous. We all know who Jesus is. We've heard his stories. You had to literally be living under a rock to not know who Jesus is because even this man knows who he is. And so he sees him, right? He sees him, and it says he runs to him and throws himself on his knees, and he can't speak. Who speaks for him? The demon. But before the demon speaks, it says, because Jesus said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit, right? So Jesus, immediately as he comes to him, he's like, come out of him. Leave him alone. And he asked, and so he, you know, he's fighting with him. This demon is fighting with him. He's like, what do you have with me, Jesus, the most high God? Even the demons know who he is. They knew it then. and They know it now. And so Jesus is like, what is your name? His name is Legion. Legion is a measurement in the Roman army. It consisted of five to 6,000 Roman soldiers. That means that there was five to six thousand demons inside of this man. I cannot imagine that. That is a terrible way to live, as we read in the first five verses, right? And and can we talk about the audacity this <laughs> these demons have? They are begging Jesus not to torture that, when they have been torturing. This man, for who knows how long. The audacity, right? This is almost comical. Like, are you serious right now? Like, are you serious? Oh, okay, cool. So let's see what Jesus does. Verse 11. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the near, nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go in them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Okay. So they're, they're having this conversation with Jesus, all 6,000 of them. Can you imagine that? Imagine the site. They're having a conversation back and forth. Okay, hey, please don't take us out. Don't torture us. We know, right? We just saying the demons tremble at his name. And so they're having a conversation. Please, please, like this is a nice home. We like this neighborhood. We like this man. We get to do whatever. We get to do whatever we want here. Please, I don't want to leave. And and they see the pigs, and it says there's two thousand pigs, and they're like, can we please go into the pigs, please? Like if, if like we already know you're gonna cast us out, but please just like let us go into that. And so Jesus is like, go go ahead, he gave him permission, right? Because they need God's permission, right? And so they go into the pigs, and it says that they jump off the cliff and they drown. 2,000 pigs cannot contain 6,000 demons. How can one man contain 6,000 demons? Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran out and reported this in town and in the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. So this is a very human response, right? When something this, well, I don't know. Has anybody experienced something this crazy? I haven't. But when something crazy happens to us, what is the first thing we do? I know I call John, like, babe, you're not going to believe what happened, right? And immediately after that, I'm going to voice message Karina, girl, like, What and right because that's like we need to tell people what just happened and that that's very normal of them These herdsmen have been working with the pigs. That's their job They just saw first of all everyone in the neighborhood, right? We decided that everyone in the neighborhood knows this man And so they know about him And all of a sudden he is fine. It says he is clothed in his right mind sitting down And the pigs are gone The pigs couldn't take it. The pigs jumped off the cliff. So, of course, they're going to go tell everyone. And, of course, this is going to cause a scene. So, if if Jesus wasn't already surrounded by a ton of people when he got to town, the people are fleet. Like, they're coming to see what just happened. So, although very human, their response is very particular. It says they were afraid. Why were they afraid? Let's look at it this way. 2,000 pigs is a lot of bacon. (laughs) Right? That's a lot of bacon. That's a lot of pork chops that someone just lost because they drowned. That's a lot of money. And this is why you have to read scripture and you have to pay attention because you'll miss it. It says... Let me find it. Sixteen, those who had seen it, so the herdsmen, right, the people around there, told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and they told about the pigs. That's interesting, that they told about the pigs. They were focused on the bacon instead of this miracle that they have never seen or will ever see before. They were focused on the wrong thing. They were focused on pigs. Not this man who they found, again, sitting clothed in, their, in his right mind. He, that means that he was always naked, right? They could never contain him. We've talked about that. He was always in chains, and still they couldn't contain him. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And all of a sudden... They see them. They see this man sitting there in his right mind. He's fine. He is healed. He is free. Right? Who the Lord sets free is free indeed. And yet, they're afraid. Why? Because they just lost out on their financial gain. They don't care about the eternal value that Jesus brought to this town and that Jesus brings with him, they care that they just lost a ton of money. So they're like thinking, if this man keeps doing these crazy things, we're going to lose a lot of money. Like who knows what else he's going to do. He needs to leave. And it says that they pleaded with him. They begged him to go. That's crazy. Because if I was there... I hope that I would plead Jesus to come and touch my life, right? I would plead Jesus to come into my home. I would plead Jesus to change this town. But instead, they were so afraid that they asked him to go. Verse 18. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but he said, go to your home. Own people and tell him how much the sorry go go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him, and all the people were amazed. Talk about the correct response, right? And some of you can relate to this man because your life was terrible, awful, no good before Jesus, right? And once you encounter him and he sets you free, he breaks your chains, you're just going to want to go with him because what else would you possibly do? Let's think about his life. Why would he stay there? No one's even concerned about, no one's even like, what is your name? How are you? No, 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 no. They're talking about Pigs. And this man comes to town, sets him free, delivers him. What else am I to do? Of course I want to go with you. So he begs to go with him, but Jesus doesn't let him. Instead, he gives him a command. Go to your home, to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. And that's the thing about God's commands. They are a joy to follow when we truly know him. When we truly love the Lord and have seen the change that he has brought into our lives, his commands are a joy. It's not, uh, but maybe I should get a job and maybe, like, I should start a family because, like, all the good girls are now taken, right, because, like, those guys were not demon. No, he's not thinking about all that dumb stuff that has no eternal value. Not dumb as in, dumb, you know, but there's... He's thinking, I want to go with this man that just saved my life. And I want to follow him wherever he's going. But if I can't do that, then I'm going to do what he asked me to do. Because that's the least that I could do. Of course I'm going to go out and testify. So he does. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis. The Decapolis, by the way, is ten cities. So that means he went to his home and then some to testify of God's goodness. How much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. That's beautiful. Let's keep reading. So that was our first character. Let's look at the the second character. Verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, the large crowd gathered around him while he was By the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, Jairus, came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come put your hands on her so that she may be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So Jesus leaves the town as they asked him to, and he crosses over the lake, it says, or on the other side, and while he's still by the lake, there is a crowd, right? Again, we all, they all know who Jesus is. There is a crowd. He's always surrounded by people, and this, this new character that's introduced is very different from the demon-possessed man. He is a synagogue leader. We've been in the book of, of John for a few months now. We know how prideful these Jewish men are, right? Right? I mean, they know everything, right? And they miss Jesus all the time. Most of them miss Jesus because their pride is so big. Their ego is so big. They could be talking to the Messiah and they don't even see him. But him, curious, it says when he sees Jesus, he comes and he falls at his feet. This is a high position of honor. This man is honored among his community very different from the first one, and yet he sees Jesus, and he has the same reaction as the demon-possessed man. He falls at his feet, and he pleads with him. He begs him, come, come with me. My daughter is dying. In Luke, Luke tells the same story in chapter 8. It says his only daughter, this is his only daughter. Please come heal her. If you touch her, she's going to live. So he already knows who Jesus is, right? So Jesus agrees. He's like, yes, of course. And so they're walking to this man's home. Verse 24. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman, this is our third character, and a woman who was there, was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had Suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. So this is a story within a story. It's like a parenthesis, right? Because they are Jerry's comes to meet Jesus, begs him to go, and they're walking to his house to lay hands on the little girl. But as they're walking, the crowd was so big because they all want to be around Jesus. In Luke, it says the crowd almost crushed him. I don't know about you, but I don't like crowds. Anything that has to do with a concert, anything that has to do with so many people in one place, that that's not my scene. I don't like it. I do not like it. It makes me nervous. You can get tramped, you can get touched, you can get your stuff stolen. I just it's not my thing. But if Jesus was here. That would be very much my thing, right? Like, I would want to be there. So I'll do crowds for Jesus. And so that's how people were feeling. They're like, so they're walking. And Mark tells us that there is a woman who has been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years. He tells us that she has spent all she's had, and suffered a great deal with all these different doctors. So not only is she hemorrhaging blood, she is hemorrhaging money, and she is hemorrhaging probably her sanity. Because if you are sick for 12 years, that's a long time. And for us to be able to understand her sickness a little bit more, her situation, let's go to Leviticus 15, verses 25 to 30. Okay. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in her days of her period. Any bed she lies on while on her discharge continues to be unclean, as is the bed during her monthly period. And anything she sits on will be unclean, as during her period. Anyone who touches her will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water and will be unclean until evening. When she is cleansed from her discharge, she must come off seven days after she will be ceremonially clean. On the eighth day she must take two doves and two young pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest is to sacrifice one for the sin offering, one for the burnt offering. In this way, he will make atonement for her before the Lord for the uncleanliness of her discharge. That is a that is a lot. That is a lot. Right? We all know women have their period once a month. They were to do this every single month. Not only were they to do this, but if you were to bleed outside of that um, weekly, usually, it's like a week long, right? You were considered unclean. This is so sad. Twelve years, she was unclean. 12 years, I'm going to guess, no one touched her because they were, would be considered unclean. 12 years. Not only did she suffer from her sickness, but she suffered from loneliness. As humans, we are designed to live in community. We are designed to, physical touch is a very real thing not talking about sex, I'm talking about a hug, I'm talking about a kiss, we need it. We need to hold hands, right? Science has studied it. When we hug, it do, does something to our bodies, our hormones regulate, our stress levels go down. This woman has not been touched in 12 years. So she is sick, she is alone, and she has no money. Not only has she suffered from her sickness and her loneliness, it says that she has gone to every single doctor. So let's think about the progression here. Most of us, when we start to feel sick, we might drink a tea, right? Like, I'm going to make some tea, get a little warm something in my belly, right? Yes or no? You guys are laughing. It's true, right? I make some tea, like, maybe it'll soothe my throat. And if the tea doesn't work, then we start Googling and we start like, oh, like, let me, let me try some maybe garlic or ginger or, you know, like, some natural stuff, right? Like, I'm looking to natural remedies. And if that doesn't work, we're like, fine, make an appointment, go to the doctor, go to the doctor, if the doctor doesn't help us, it, it's starting to scare us, right? Like, we're like, oh, okay, like, what's going on here? And if our symptoms keep progressing, as they did to her, we might go into the ER. And when the ER doctors can't figure it out, that means that we're staying in the hospital for an undecided period of time. And when we stay in the hospital, for those of you that haven't been into the hospitals, you see a lot of specialists. And they take a lot of tests. And those tests and that medicine that they try to give you to try to figure out what's going on, it's painful. It tastes nasty, it makes you feel nasty, those tests hurt, and it says she's gone through a great deal of, can we go back to Mark, Um, a great deal of pain, suffering, trying to get better, and nothing, not only does she not get better, she gets worse, When she heard about Jesus, verse 27, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she had been freed from her suffering. Immediately. There was no recovery time. There was no waiting room. There was no money. Immediately. You see, for this woman who has been suffering alone in pain for 12 years, there is nothing left. There is nothing left. She is hopeless. Hopeless. The only thing she has, it says she thought, right, was her faith, was her faith. Hebrews 11, we could go there, teaches us that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance in what we do not see. For 12 years, she didn't see any good. For 12 years, she could not be healed. It was negative after negative after negative. In fact, I'm going to assume she even went to witch doctors, right? Because you are so desperate. It says she went to every type of doctor, and nothing helped. But she thought, she thought, that was her faith. She thought, if I just touch I don't, need to, I don't need to see him. I don't need to talk to him if I just touch his cloak. And what happens? Her faith has set her free. Immediately. I love that word. <laughs> Immediately. Verse 30. At once, Jesus realized power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples asked him, and yet you ask, who touched me? It's kind of silly of Jesus, right? Like, Luke says the crowd was almost crushing him. That's how many people there was. And his disciples were like, is this guy serious right now? Like, okay. But Jesus, right, he knows, kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear. There's that word again, fear. And told the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. That is so beautiful. When Luke tells the story, he says that she is cannot go unnoticed anymore. Why can't she go unnoticed anymore? She is used to that for 12 years, no one has looked at her, no one has cared for her, no one has touched her. She is literally, no one sees her, no one cares for this woman. She is a no one. Kind of like that demon-possessed man, except worse. Because the demon-possessed man at least got some attention, right? They were trying to bind him. This woman got nothing, so, so Luke says, when she couldn't go unnoticed anymore, she spo- you know she, she told Jesus it was me. And, he, and she tells him. And what, is, what does he re- reply? He says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. I love that. The, the first chapter of Hebrews talks about faith. And right after that first verse, it says, he put it up there for me. Now, faith is the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. Jesus commends her. Jesus praises her for her faith. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and and be freed from your suffering. That is amazing. This woman is freed and he's like, your faith did that. Your faith did that. Let's think for a second. Those crowds were so big. What if she would have hesitated? What if she would have been like, oh, those crowds are big. Like, what if, What if? oh, I don't know. Like, what if I, no, she not, no. It says she thought, she did, and she received. So let's continue. Verse 35. When Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. This is the second time in this chapter the word fear comes into play. The first time... The townspeople were afraid, and they told Jesus to leave. The second time, the woman of hemorrhaging blood gets healed, and it says she's afraid, and so she, she talks to Jesus. Trembling with fear told them the whole truth, right? This fear is very different. This is not like the fear the townspeople had. This fear is the fear of God. She is overwhelmed with emotion, of what just happened. Her dream has just come true. She is overwhelmed. She is happy. She fears the Lord. Very different. And then we keep reading, right? Because we're still walking to this man's house. This is just like parentheses. This is just very short. I mean, it doesn't say it. The, They probably walked a long distance. It doesn't say how long it is, but we're still the point is the point of the story is we're still walking to the synagogue's leader's home. But this all happens in between. And so they continue to walk, or or Jesus, it says Jesus is still talking and and commending this woman when someone runs to the leader and tells him, She died. You're one and only perfect, beautiful daughter is dead except they don't use all those words they're actually pretty jerkish if you ask me it says your daughter is dead why bother the teacher anymore like what when you deliver such awful news you offer a hug you offered right like cuz if you tell me such terrible news i'm probably going to my knees are going to buckle I need someone to hold me. And yet, they said, don't bother the teacher anymore. Overhearing this, what does Jesus say? Don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. This, this man of high honor has just witnessed a miracle, right? This woman has stopped bleeding, her faith has healed her, and yet his worst nightmare just became reality. His daughter is dead, even though we're walking. I mean, I don't, I don't know, it doesn't say, but if I put myself in his shoes, my mind is racing at this moment, what do you what she died but we're 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 almost there we're walking jesus is coming with me he's gonna lay hands on her it's it's all gonna be okay and jesus knows this right because he knows all things and he tells her or he tells him don't be afraid just believe lauren was just singing there is nothing to fear when jesus is near There is nothing to fear when Jesus is near. There is nothing to fear when Jesus is near. Don't be afraid, just believe. Verse 37, do not let, um, he did not let anyone follow him except for Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. That's more my scene, right? Like my best friends, like we're, (laughs) I don't like the crowds, I'm going to take a couple people with me, like, let's go. When Jesus came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, Peter, James, John, and went in where the child was. So again, I put myself in this, in this man's shoes, and my mind is raising, I am I'm just overcome with emotion. Jesus tells me not to fear, but then we get to, to my home, my house, who it's supposed to be, I don't know about you, but my home my home, I want it to be peaceful, I want it to be calm, I want it to be clean, I don't want nothing right? So he gets home, and there is commotion, and it says there is people crying and wailing. Their tradition, when someone died, was to to hire professional mourners, just people that would just cry at your funeral. I know, it's so weird, right? They're just... that's a, that's a lot. Like, not only are you overwhelmed with your, your loved one just dying, but now you have to hear people that are paid to cry. That, that's a, there's a lot going on here. And that's where he arrives. And what does Jesus do? He commands them to leave. He says, get out. And he takes his three best friends and the mom and the dad. Verse 41 where the child was he took her by the hand and he said to her Talitha kum which means little girl I say to you get up immediately mm -hmm, (laughs) the girl stood up and began to walk around she was 12 years old at this point they were completely astonished he gave straight order, strict orders not to let anyone know about this, and he told them to give her something to eat. Immediately. 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 There was no, go, go get this at the pharmacy, give her this, go get the washcloth, put it on her forehead, go make her some chicken noodle. No, 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 no. Immediately. Now. He commands her to get up and she gets up. Can you imagine that room? My precious little girl, only daughter died, and Jesus immediately gets her up. Immediately. In closing, Lawrence, would you come? I want to focus in that that last verse. The last phrase says, and he told them to give her something to eat. When I first read this, this chapter, I was like, hmm, that's an interesting way to end. Like, okay, give her something to eat. Okay, cool, whatever. The more I studied it and sat with it and the Holy Spirit spoke to me, it's actually not an interesting way to end. It's a very God way to end. You see, the God of the universe, God in the flesh, the only person with the power over angels and demons, sickness and health, life and death, also cares for our most basic needs. He is not this heady God that only cares about the big things he is compassionate and loving and caring he cares that you are fed he cares that you are clothed he cares about your every tiny basic little teeny need those thoughts that go into your head he cares about them right This is the Jesus that not only preached to the multitudes, he also fed the multitudes. Let's let's think about this for a second. This girl is 12 years old, which by the way, if you remember our last character, she bled for 12 years, pay attention, 12 years. If we look at a, a child's life, their life is so beautiful, right? It's, it's, it's so beautiful. As parents, we get to experience just the beauty of a child growing up. And it usually feels so fast. And that is contrast to the suffering that this woman felt for 12 years. Suffering feels not beautiful. It feels long. It feels lonely. But this, she was a child. She was 12 years old. For those of us that have kids, our kids are never not hungry. <laughs> right? They never not want a snack. If I tell Macy, you want a snack, her, her eyes lit up. And she's like, yes. And she runs to that kitchen. <laughs> God knows. Jesus knew. I can imagine the party these parents are about to throw. They're not thinking about food. Her child their child was raised from the dead. But Jesus is like, "Go give her something to eat. Baby's hungry." <laughs> that is so God. That is my God. He not only cast the demons out, He set his mind straight. It says when they found him, they found him sitting in his right mind, clothed. He not only stops the hemorrhaging, he makes her a daughter of the king. Because he refers to her as daughter, your faith has healed you. This is a woman in isolation. He just gave her a family. He doesn't care about just salvation and all these big wonderful eternal things. He also cares about the physical needs that we have. He cares. He not only raises this child from the dead, he asks the parents to feed to feed her. these these three these two men and and one woman would have never experienced the life-changing work of Christ would they have if they would have left let their fear get in the way do you think the synagogue leader wasn't scared he was terrified and yet he Go scared. Do the thing. He is with you. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Jesus didn't tell him that for no reason. He knew that's what he needed to hear. And this morning he is telling you, don't be afraid. Just believe. As the altar workers... um, make their way over here. I want to, I want you to pay attention. Maybe this is your first time here. Maybe this is your fifth or your 100th time here. These men and women that are standing here before you, don't just stand here because they wanna stretch because they're tired of sitting down. They're standing here with a purpose. We have an intentional, loving, caring God, and you are in an intentional, caring, loving church. They are here to pray with you. They are here to walk with you. They are here to have faith when you don't have faith. So please come pray with them. Come seek the Lord. As the worship team makes their way up here, I want to leave you with a verse in Hebrews, Hebrews 6. It says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone that comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He will reward those who earnestly. Seek him. You first need to believe he can do it. All of these three people, when they saw Jesus, they came to him because they believed their situation could be changed. Father, I just pray. And I thank you because the same Jesus we read about today, that did all those miracles so long ago, is the same Jesus still working today, here and now. And not only do we have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray against every fear, every doubt, I pray against every single fear and doubt. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we are not like those townspeople that focused on pigs and could not get a hold of the eternal value you were were providing. Circumstances are gonna come, circumstances are gonna change but you remain the same. I pray that, like the demon-possessed man, when you come into our lives, we are forever changed, and our attitude is an attitude of, I want to follow you forever. I'm going to leave this life behind and go with you wherever you take me. Lord Jesus, the fear of God to come into this place and in these hearts. Not the fear of man, not the fear of circumstances, not the fear of financial loss, but the fear of God. Just like the the woman hemorrhaging, Lord. She had so much faith to think if she just touched you. Lord, I pray for those that have suffered, Lord, that are just waiting, Lord, to touch you. I just pray that they touch you today, Lord Jesus. Because you are a God of the immediate Lord. We believe it. We have seen it. There is testimonies in this church. Pray, I just pray for faith, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, move. It is impossible to please you, Jesus, without faith. what only Jesus could do doctors are not gonna solve it the doctors couldn't heal his doctors his daughter the doctors couldn't heal that issue of blood only Jesus could he breaks the shame he sets you free he cares about your every need i just pray that they feel your care lord that they feel your compassion your love lord jesus for you cared you've cared so much that you came into the world to set us free lord i love you so much jesus thank you for your work thank you that you are still working May our lives overflow with faith. May we always have faith over fear. Knowing that you have the best interest in heart. Thank you, Holy Spirit.